but it, it is good to be with you today and, and thankful to have this opportunity. Now, part of the reason that I have the opportunity is because of your convention that's going on this week. Pastor invited you to one of the uh, worship services, but um, Michigan and Arkansas, particularly Detroit and Arkansas, have a, uh, a partnership relationship in terms of church planting and mission work um, that, that we're doing together. Now, in reality, Arkansas and Michigan has had a long partnership relationship. When the convention started, when Southern Baptist work began in the state of Michigan, Arkansas Convention was our sponsor convention. I mean, they helped us get started. Many uh, of the pastors in our region, growing up as, as uh, a, a young kid in a Southern Baptist church, many of the pastors were from uh, Arkansas. And so it's, it's kind of neat that here uh, in these last uh, couple years that that relationship has, has been reinvigorated. And we're excited about it. And uh, so I, I've, I've got the opportunity to come down and, and speak at some of the uh, breakfasts and, and dinners um, to talk about what God's doing uh, in Detroit and doing through this partnership, doing through the cooperative program, through your giving. And uh, so that's, that's why I'm here this morning. Uh, your pastor was gracious enough to invite me to come and to share that. And, and so I, I count it a, a real privilege. I, I know as a pastor... I don't give my pulpit up very often um, because I've always got a burning message in my soul to share with my, with my church family. But I'm so very thankful, Jake, to, to have that opportunity uh, this morning. I feel, uh, I feel very blessed. I feel like I've done well. Come to, I mean, to see the sun shining this morning. I, when I left Detroit, it, it last four or five days, it's been raining. Uh, and so it feels good to see some sun this morning. Reminds me of the story... Um, uh, gentleman was getting ready to go to work on Monday morning, and it was it was pouring down rain outside. And so, as he headed for the front door, he was headed for the the umbrella rack to get an umbrella. But before he could grab the umbrella, his wife stopped him and says, "There's no way you're taking that umbrella." He says, "But honey, it's raining outside." And she says, "Yeah." He says, "But we have five umbrellas in this household. You've taken four of them to work and left them there. This is the last umbrella. You're not taking this umbrella." So knowing that she was right, he turned around, grabbed the newspaper off the stand, put it over his head, and ran for the bus stop. It was raining hard, so by the time he got to the bus stop, the newspaper was worthless, and so he, he dropped it in the trash, jumped up on the bus, and uh, the bus was full that morning, so he's walking back towards the back and finds one seat, and it was right next to a Mennonite gentleman who was sitting there in a black uh, suit, big black broad-rimmed hat, leaning on a big back black umbrella. So as the bus heads downtown, he can hear that the rain is getting steadily harder on the top of the bus. And as he pulls up to his bus stop, he makes a snap decision, realizing that he was going to be totally soaked by the time he got to the office. He worthless for the day. So he reached out and grabbed the umbrella uh, next to him and ran for the door. Well, um, through, as the day ended for him, the rain had stopped. He gathered up his umbrellas and he headed back to the bus stop. And when he got up onto the bus, sure enough, sitting right in front was that Mennonite gentleman. Here's the man who's got his arm holding his bundle of umbrellas. And the Mennonite looks up to him and says, Thou hast done well this day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I've, I've done well uh, to be with you and to make some reacquaintances with some old friends and, and to be able to just gather together around the word of God and to worship him together. 
I, I'm going to invite you to, um, to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And really, I, I understand it as part of my assignment this morning before you is to just remind you that even though we're separated by over a thousand miles, uh, we're united in this gospel. We have the same uh, charge placed upon us to, as I saw it in your bulletin, to reach people and to disciple believers. We have that same responsibility. But what I understand, what I believe, is that one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel uh, whether it's here in Arkansas or in Detroit, one of the greatest hindrances is discouraged and disengaged believers. I, I trust you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I ask you to think about it this way. Whether you're, you know, I, I, I often am in groups of pa- a group of pastors and listen to the conversation, or whether it's a group of believers in the hallways of the church, what, what do we often talk about? And I, I would suggest that often what we talk about are things like how bad things are, you know, how awful the world has become, how difficult our, our pagan neighbors are. And, and, and we begin to talk about how awful things are. Matter of fact, I've got, I've got guys in my church, they just love to give me these little papers. They're, they're, the titles usually are a prophetic newsletter. I don't know if you've ever seen these. But, you know, I'll read this, this little uh, document, and all it is is really a chronicling of where Satan is making his advances in the world today, how awful things are. And if, if you just listen to that and, and you think about it, what are we saying? Well, I know what people are saying, what believers often say. They'll say things, oh, we're just kind of hanging on till Jesus comes. But it seems as if we've already resigned ourselves to believe that Satan is on the throne. But that is not the truth, friend. No, Satan has been defeated, whether you recognize that or not, but he's been defeated, and Jesus is on the throne right now. Not someday, not we're looking for him to come and, and sit on the throne. No, he's on the throne right now, and God is at work in our world and in this community right now. Do you believe that? Well, some of you do. Well, I want to convince you of that. This is the truth, and it changes our perspective of of who we are in Christ, who this church is in the world when we understand that he is in charge and that he is on the move and that we're supposed to get involved in what he is doing. I believe that was pretty much the same attitude that the people in Jesus' day had. In fact, I think probably if you did a, if they'd done a a man-on-the-street interview with people walking around Jerusalem, and they would have asked them about God's involvement, they would have said of themselves, we're spiritual people, we love God, we want to serve God, but you know, God's just not at work in our day. Not like back in the patriarchs' day, not way back then, man, God was at work then when Elijah was around, but, but he's not at work now. When in reality, Jesus was walking right among them, and they missed it, right? Let's look at this, this uh, passage from uh, Luke chapter 7, a short little parable of Jesus. Verse 31 says, And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? 
They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, hey, we've piped to you and you did not dance and we've mourned to you and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, he had a devil. He has a devil. And the son of man has come eating and drinking. You say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Would you join me in as we ask God's direction in the hearing of his word? Heavenly Father, we come this morning. We've, we've come to worship you. We've come to recognize your presence. Because, Lord, you've promised us that you're here. That when two or more are gathered together in your name, that you are here. You show up. And so, Lord, in your presence, we, we want to hear from you this morning. And we're asking that you would have, uh, that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to, to reveal the, the condition of our heart and our soul. Lord, that you'd help us to recognize that indeed you are at work in our day in an amazing ways. And Lord, we need to, by faith, see you at work. And, and Lord, by desire, join in what you're doing for your kingdom and for your glory. For these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love the parables of Jesus. As he tells these stories, he, he tells them in ways and, and, and paints an image, a picture that the people that were listening to him would immediately grab hold of. And, and this is one of those stories. It, it's a little bit challenging to us because, of course, we're, we're not first century Christians. I mean, we're, we're, we're many centuries reviewed and uh, removed, and, and we're in a different culture. But the spiritual truths in here are still truths that uh, apply to us. And so the picture that Jesus paints that they would have understood immediately was that of a marketplace. And we need to understand that, of course, a marketplace in, in Jerusalem in the first century would not... Be like our marketplace. Is this working? Am I on? Can I walk away from the pulpit? I am? No. Is that better? All right. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. So it's a marketplace. It's not Walmart, right? It's not a store building. The marketplace is outdoors, probably on a street. And, and uh, if you've ever been in a third world country where they have outdoor markets, you can help to draw that picture, right, of uh, little lean-tos or tarps that are uh, off of a building and, and wares are laid out, whether it's food or items, household items, maybe even livestock that would be there. And, and so in the market, you would go to buy what you, what you needed for your home. But it would you know, it'd be loud. You'd have the sound of animals. You'd have haggling going on because none of the, you know, none of the items in the market are, are priced. There's no barcodes. You know, you've you got to haggle for the price. And so there's this in the picture, but then, but then there's the children in the picture. Because when mom goes to the market, the kids go along with her. I don't know about you, but I, I have vivid memories of having to go to the market with my mom. Now, my market wasn't like that. It would, it would have just been a store building. But I, I didn't like shopping, especially if she was going clothes shopping. I mean, that was just like the worst. I had to be stuck with mom when she's clothes, shopping for clothes. So as a child, what did you want to do? I wanted to escape from that. I mean, the only way you could kind of redeem that time is if you found some other kids in the store that, that were free enough to play with you. You want to play. That's what, that's what kids do. 
And, and so that, that, that relates very well to the, the picture that Jesus is painting. He's just talking about the market. Here's, here's this busy market. But there's kids in the market, right? And they're wanting to do what, what kids want to do. They want to they play. My, um, my undergraduate degree was, was in education. And studies show that the, the free, unstructured play, that it's essential for the development of a child. Um, they need time to play. It's natural. It's healthy. Um, now, the, the picture that, that Jesus speaks of, again, that the people would have understand a lot better than we do when we read the story, is the games that he's speaking about. You know, the games that children play usually relate very well to what's important in the parent's life, what's important in the community's life. And so the games that he's referring to, and he refers to it when he speaks of John, is the games of, of weddings and funerals. Now, we could kind of understand the wedding game. Funeral game doesn't, it sounds a little weird to us, but understand that was, that was when the whole community came out. That's when they came together, when, when there was a death in the community and, and the uh, funeral would uh, include a procession and there would be mourners. The women tended to lead the procession of mourners and then there were those who would come behind the deceased and they would, be the, they would sing the dirge for the procession. And so you could imagine this scene now as the people who heard Jesus' story with that, that picture. Here's the marketplace. It's busy. But here's the kids. They're, they're walking through the market. They maybe hold, carrying a little cricket, a dead cricket on a pallet. And, and the girls are out front mourning. And the guys are behind. And they're singing the dirge. And they're moving through this busy place. This is a normal picture. Kids playing in the market. But what's abnormal in the picture What's strange in the picture is Jesus says there, there's children, but there's children who don't want to play. There's children just sitting in the curb, and, and the kids have come through, and they said, hey, we sang a dirge to you, but you wouldn't come and play with us. We piped to you. We, we, we invited you to come and play the wedding game, but you didn't come and join us. It's a strange picture that Jesus speaks of. Not normal. He tells a story in this context. If you read up in the first part of the chapter, the disciples of John have just come to him. And they've asked him, are you the Messiah or are we supposed to still keep looking for someone else? And Jesus says, go back to John and tell him what you've seen. That you've seen the sick healed. You've seen, you've seen those who are paralyzed able to walk. You've seen lepers cleansed. And Jesus identifies then in those words with John's ministry. And he looks at those who are around him and, and he knows that many who have gathered have, have already rejected John and have rejected him. And so he says to them, what will I liken this generation to? You're like children sitting in the marketplace, unwilling to get in the game. You see, the reality, the spiritual reality was that God was at work in their time like never before. With John coming and, and proclaiming the coming of Messiah. And now Jesus coming as the Messiah to represent God in the flesh, the incarnation of God. Never in the history of the world had there been the working of God like there was then. But yet there were those who witnessed it. 
And they saw it, and they said, oh, John, ah, he's got a devil. And, and Jesus, no, we, 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 can't, we can't follow him. He's, he's a glutton and a wine river. He's a friend of sinners. They wouldn't get in to the game. They were disengaged with what God was doing in their day. Now, for us this morning, I think the, the challenge is the same. I think that God would challenge each of us, questioning, do you see what he's doing? Or do you, you have this idea, well, you know, God used to work. You know, years ago, man, I used to hear stories from my grandparents about God's involvement and how God moved and, and great revivals. But he doesn't work in our day. Oh, friend, that, that is a lie from the enemy. God is at work in our day. He, is, he desires that, that all men would come to, to faith in him through Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm thrilled to be able to report to you how, how I'm seeing God at work in Detroit. Now, I, I believe you could tell me how God's at work here in Arkansas. Uh, but I, I want to tell you a little bit about what, what I see God doing in Detroit. Um, I, to begin with, I, I brought a few pictures if, if you want to. We'll try to run some of those. I know it, it helps me to uh, see things visually. Uh, but I, I, I expect, for the most part, that you, you know something about Detroit, but probably everything you know about Detroit you've seen through a very narrow lens. Uh, you, you've read about, you've heard about the bankruptcy that took place there. You've maybe heard stories uh, from the news reports. Um, but go ahead and move a couple slides forward for me. But the reality is there are, you know, there's 4.7 million people that call Detroit home, Metro Detroit home. That's a lot of people. Uh, but the, the spiritual reality is something else. That's, that's, it's a dark place. I know your pastor told me that, that he, he shared with you about the initiative that the North American Mission Board has, that we as Southern Baptists have joined in on, in, in going to and looking at some of the darkest places around North America that we, we've identified and called Send Cities. And I know you, gotta, you have to hit the D real hard on that one. But... Um, these 32 cities across North America, Detroit is one of those. Um, I mean, like I said, you've, you've seen it in the newspapers, but, but the reality is um, that some 93%, the best we know, about 93% of, of, of Detroit is, is lost without the gospel, without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, we, we simply do not have that many gospel-preaching churches. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, um, here in Arkansas, you have one Southern Baptist church for every 1,894 uh, population. In Alabama, you have, uh, there's one Southern Baptist church for every 1,466 in population. When you come to Detroit, you're talking about one church for every almost 50,000. Um, so it, it doesn't even compare in, in that sense. Um, so as, as we began to pray about what, what does this look like, how, how, do, we, how do we focus on, on Detroit for the gospel? And, and we, it was, for us, it's about planting gospel-preaching churches. So we gathered uh, about almost, four, uh, almost five years ago 
about five years ago, we gathered and brought pastors together from the region, began to pray uh, about our city, and began to ask the question, where are these neighborhoods, where are these communities where we need to plant churches? And, and so we came and, and developed a map that looks something like that. You can't make much out of it, but those little dots represent uh, 72 neighborhoods, distinct neighborhoods where we felt like there was a desperate need for a gospel presence and a church plant. Of course, after we identified that and we stepped back, uh, the next question is, well, where in the world are we going to find 72 planters to come help us plant these new churches that are, that are needed? And there really wasn't, we didn't have an answer, a good answer to that. The answer we had was a biblical answer, and, and we began challenging one another to pray uh, Luke 10.2. In fact, we just asked everybody to take their phone and, and put an alarm in there for 10.02 in the morning. Every time that alarm goes off, we want you to pray, Luke 10, 2. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers for the harvest. And the conviction that I had uh, in the very beginning was that it wasn't going to come from us uh, going recruiting pastors from the seminaries or going uh, to other places to find pastors, but it was going to largely come out of, uh, out of our churches, out of our community. And so what I can report to you, and what, what excites me to, to report to you, uh, is that today, just four, after we launched this about four years ago, since that time, uh, we've seen 27 churches planted, and we've got about 24 uh, or 5 guys in the pipeline uh, ready to plant, or getting ready to plant. So the thing is, the question is, well, you know, if, if someone says, well, what great strategy did you implement for that to happen? The reality is we did not have a strategy. We just trusted God. We asked him to raise up people to help us begin these new churches. And he answered that prayer. I mean, the evidence is that God is at work in this. And, and it, the evidence is in, in seeing life changes as these new churches are planted and, and, uh, and people are baptized. I mean, every time I get to talk about it, it just gives me, gives me goosebumps. Um, because these, are, these guys that are planning these churches, 90% of them are from Detroit. Many of them have launched their churches in the high schools that they grew up in. Some of them had been away from town, had, had moved away, had gone, gone to school someplace else, and maybe even pastored someplace else, and then God put it on their heart that they need to come home and plant a church in, in the community they grew up in, and so they have. So a couple of these pictures you're seeing, uh, the first one was Jason Robinson in, in Ypsilanti has, has planted uh, Reach Church, and uh, they're, they're only two years old, but they run about 120, 130, have baptized about 50 people um, in, a, in a very urban neighborhood. Um, then the, the next one was Cornelius Robeson, he's, Cornelius is with me, he's preaching in another church this morning, uh, but he's, he's on the west side of the city in a... Um, a very underserved neighborhood, very difficult place. Um, but yet God is just blessing them. I mean, uh, with, uh, with dozens and dozens of baptisms and, and the growing of a, a new healthy church that's preaching the gospel in a community where it just wasn't heard. I mean, there's, there are churches in Detroit, but the, the large majority of those churches preach a different gospel. Uh, they preach a health and wealth gospel, Name it, claim it, you know, and, and it, it's a lot of hype, but little Jesus. Um, and, 
And so we're excited about gospel preaching churches. Go step back one, one more slide. This one here. I, I want to speak to this one. I was, I was at this church yesterday. Did a pastor's conference there. One of the unique things about Detroit as a, as a send city is that uh, because Detroit shares the border with Canada, uh, Windsor, Canada is just on the other side of, of the river for us. And when we were praying about Detroit, we, we also prayed about Windsor because there was n- like no gospel presence, very little gospel presence there. As dark as Detroit was, Windsor was even darker. And as far as Southern Baptist work went, you had to go all the way to Toronto to find other SBC churches. And so that's almost five hours away. So we felt it, this was our responsibility. And so the reason I wanted to have this slide up here, this is a, a picture of the, the gathering church in Windsor, uh, Garth Lino um, pastoring it. And uh, here, here's a church that launched, now they're almost three years old now, but they're running over 300 on Sundays um, and, and baptizing regularly. And I, I, when I noticed this picture, and you can't, I'm sure it's not big enough, but the, the gal who's down in the bottom right-hand corner being baptized, she was leading worship yesterday uh, at this meeting I was at. And it just, it just I, I don't know, it just excites me because here, here's the evidence, here's the reality that God is at work because he's still changing lives. He's transforming people's lives with the power of the gospel. And the truth is you have a part in that. You may not know about it. And so maybe that's the reason I'm here is just to tell you you're invested in what's happening as you give through the cooperative program, um, as, your, as your state convention partners with us, and as, as Arkansas churches come up and, and walk alongside these planters and, and help them. Um, I, I don't remember what the next slides are, so why don't you go to the next one. Okay, here, here's another component, uniqueness of Detroit. Um, Maybe, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but Detroit has the largest Arabic population outside of the Middle East. Um, this is Dearborn. This is um, one of the mosques there that's it's the kind of uh, religious center of North America. Uh, I call it the Islamic center of North America, or of America. Um, and, and so that's, that's really on our doorstep, the doorstep of our church. It's just the next community over uh, is Dearborn. And the whole region has drawn not just Arabic peoples, but Muslim peoples from all around the Muslim world. And um, so for, for years, we, we do uh, what we just call, we call a mission, uh, uh, mission Fridays, where we go on Fridays to the, to the coffee houses in the region just to build relationships and share the gospel. But uh, we're also working with um, uh, Muslim background planters. Uh, one I want to tell you about is a uh, young man, um, I'll just call him Shamir. We don't really use his name publicly very often, but uh, here's a young man. Um, he, uh, his family is a Muslim background family from Southeast Asia. He came to Detroit to marry his arranged bride. Now, Shamir is, is a believer and uh, uh, called of God to, to, to preach the gospel and but he's planning to come and, and meet his bride, marry her, and take her back to Southeast Asia. Well, when he meets her, he, he realized, comes to realize that there was uh, some 47,000 people living in Hamtramck, which is a part of Detroit, that were from his region of Southeast Asia. And there was no churches there, none, none no, no Christian churches of any stripe or kind. And he was just amazed 
And so he felt led of God to say, no, I need to stay here. I don't, we don't need to go back. I need to stay here. And, uh, and over time, I got to meet Shaquille and we began to pray together about what it would look like to plant a church. And here, here's the thing. I know we would think, well, that, that's the hardest place in the world to try to plant a church. But here, just two years in, he has seven house churches right now as a public worship service. And baptizing, um, uh, you know, I've had the privilege because we're their sending church. Uh, um, and oftentimes for the, the believers that come out of that group, they'll, they'll come and worship with us. Uh, but just, I've just had the privilege on a regular basis to baptize Muslims and Hindus. Uh, that have come to faith through this gospel presentation, through this ministry. And, and you have a part in that as well. And, and I, I just, I want you to understand, God is at work. He's on the move. Um, the challenge for us is to, to see that he is and to join him with what he's doing. Um, I, don't, I don't know, did I have, are there other slides? I can't remember. Oh, yes, I, I wanted you to see this. You can't make out much of it. What I want you to see on the right-hand side is a trailer. This is a trailer that Arkansas Baptist Convention put together for our, for our planters in Detroit. And they got bounce houses and, and tents and tables and um, cotton candy-making machine, popcorn machine, all, all the kinds of things you need to do a, a block party and event in a neighborhood. I'm telling you, that thing got used at least twice a week, every week, all summer long. Um, and so I just thank you. Uh, Arkansas Baptist, thank you for that investment in our planters. Because here's the reality. Um, as, I, as I talked about the number of church plants, um, we really now have, have more church plants and planters than we have existing, almost than we had existing churches. <laughs> um, and so most of our planters do not have a strong relationship with a, or a relationship with a strong church, um, or many of them don't. Um, and that's where the partnership becomes so very important, is to, is to talk to churches like yours and, and others here in Arkansas about connecting uh, with, a, with a church plant. We have mission teams. We had probably about, um, probably about 15 teams from Arkansas that came last summer. Well, I would say from spring to fall. And, and have worked in various projects from construction-type projects to, to, to running the block party trailer for a church planner. Uh, to do an, an outreach event for a church that's getting ready to launch. Um, small teams, big teams, teams of four, uh, teams of, of 40 uh, that have come. And, and they'll stay in our churches and, and work among the, the planters when they come. And even go do, and, and they can even make an international mission trip if they've got their passports and go work in one of our plants in Canada. Uh, but uh, teams are so vitally important to us. But, but we need you to understand, you can, you, can, you can help in several ways, three ways in particular. You can pray uh, for our planners, take, take the names of, of, of one or more of these guys and just lift them up. I'm going to tell you, it, it is a spiritually dark place, and Satan is never happy when there's a new church born in a dark community like that. And so there is spiritual warfare that these planners have to deal with on a regular basis. It's just you holding them up before the throne and, and just... Praying for them is, is, is huge. Uh, we invite you to participate. That is to put together teams and come and work alongside uh, some of these new church plants. Or, or then to provide and come behind one of these church planters and help them. And it, it can be in just a, a, an offering that you take or maybe a VBS offering. Or it could be a, a monthly support to, to one of these guys that are, that are 
giving of themselves to plant a church in the dark place like Detroit. I, I, I want you to hear Jesus' words one more time. What shall I liken this generation to? And what are they like? I, I think those words speak through the years to you and I. He asks of us, what, what are you like? If God's at work in our day, shouldn't we desire to get involved in what he's doing? God's at work right here. I know he is because I, I know who he is. And I know his desire to bring people to faith in Christ. Um, the question is to you individually, how are you engaged in what God is doing? Are you giving of yourself? Are you giving of your time? Have you, have you joined in what he is in, involved in? For his kingdom and for his glory? Or are you like those kids in the marketplace, sitting on the curb, watching others? The scriptures remind us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to understand that not only is God at work, but he's at work in your heart, in your life, in your world. And it may be this morning that you're here and, and you would recognize that maybe you're not involved in what God is doing because you've not yielded your life to him. You've not surrendered to his lordship in your life. He is on the throne. He, he rules and, and he reigns, but, but maybe you're still living in rebellion. Well, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. This is the opportunity that God has given to you, that you might recognize his lordship and that you might surrender to him for salvation and for forgiveness and, and cleansing and new life. He desires to give it. He promises to give it if you would come to him in faith. Would you join with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we come to thank you. Lord, we thank you for uh, the way that you reveal that you're at work in our day and in our world. And Lord, we would confess that oftentimes we, we are so distracted and focused on other things, focused on what we're doing, that, that we often are missing what you're doing right next to us, even right around us. Oh Lord, we want to, to see you at work and we want to be involved in what you're doing so we would come with hearts and, of repentance. Lord, we'd, we would ask that you would forgive us, that you would open our eyes, that you'd give us faith that we would see you at work. Lord, change us this morning, that we would be on mission with you, that we would be involved in what you're doing, that we'd bring glory to your name. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus.